The Collective Whisper Podcast with Simon King. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's show. On this week's show, I'd like to welcome Todd Hoffman, who is with us here today. Todd Hoffman is the star and creator of Gold Rush. His crew and personality propelled the show to be the highest rated show on Discovery. Todd is also the leader of the Hoffman crew and one of the major focuses of Gold Rush. Todd was the man who originally came up with the idea to go gold mine in Alaska based off an adventure his dad did nearly 25 years earlier. Todd is also a singer and has amassed millions of views on YouTube with his amazing covers and his original songs with his band Sandy Mule. He is also heavily involved with the Sober Living Facility. It helps those with addictions turn their lives around and start over. So welcome to the show, Todd. How are you? I'm doing good. We're doing good. It's a pleasure to have you here. You know, I've been... Appreciate it. I've, I've, I'm a huge Gold Rush fan and uh, I've, like, I'm, I'm still up to date. I'm watching the current season. And well, just finished it actually, and I watch all the Gold Rush, the White Water, all of them. And so I was a big fan of when you were on the show, and it was amazing. And uh, it's a great show. It's, and my my wife as well is a huge fan. She was so excited. Oh. She was like, "Wow, you're interviewing Todd. That's going to be brilliant." Yeah, so, cool. yeah, so it's it's, it's a great show. It's a great show. Yeah, it's a neat show, and it was it was it was kind of a you know when I created the show, it was really a kind of an a real godsend because it was during a really hard time, you know, for a lot of people in 2008, 2009, you know, we had a financial crash in the U S so yeah. Yeah. It was, it was fun. It was, uh, it, you know, it was cool as an entrepreneur to actually see one of your ideas kind of being able to corral it, develop it and then get and then you know discovery channel um i took it to several networks and they all said yes pretty much everyone said yes and uh we went with discovery channel of course you know they've it's the biggest show in the history of their company and it was and it was something that i created and not them so it was pretty cool to like you know be a from a little town and not Hollywood or New York and to be able to come up with that kind of a piece of creative and, and get it out there. So it was pretty cool. Very, very, very fun. That, that's really good. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's a great show and, you know, and it continues with all the other kind of off spin-offs of the show. It's really good. Let's uh, we'll come back to gold rush in a minute, but I want to go back in time a little bit and talk about you. You were born in Sandy, Oregon, weren't you? Yeah, I was actually born in uh, Frankfurt, Germany. And my dad was in the military. Um, yeah, and I and uh, and then uh, we moved to back to Portland, the Portland area. So we're on the west coast. For some of your viewers who don't know, we're on the west coast, above California, below Washington. And um, I've watched Portland go from a little tiny town, really, to you know it makes the news a lot because of all the Antifa and all the other things that happen here now. Um, so yeah, that's, that's where we've been. I grew up in Portland and um, now I live just outside of Portland at a, on a, in a ski town called Sandy, Oregon. And this is where we created gold rush. And, um, and wow. a lot of, almost a lot of the guys are from here, you know, the guys I pick up local guys to come work with us. So obviously your dad, Jack, so explain to us about the whole Frankfurt thing. He was stationed over there. Yeah. He was uh, drafted in Vietnam and he was stationed in Germany during some really tough years, you know, 1960, late sixties. And, uh, you know, a war that we should never got into, never should even been over there. So, um, yeah, I was lucky that my dad didn't get killed. You know, he didn't, he came down on levy, what they call levy a couple times where he was going to get sent out into the jungle and somehow he was able to, they were able to, he was able to avoid that. Um, and, uh, just 
was spent four years in the army making about 19 cents an hour. And, uh, he, uh, came back when he got done and started in, into business here in, in Portland. So it was tough. Like, I love that story about, you know, obviously when you decided to go mining, gold mining, it was something your dad had done 25 years before previously, hadn't he? So in the eighties, my dad came home and he said, Hey, you know, I really want to go gold mining. I've read all the books, you know, Call of the Wild, everything with Alaska. And he's like, I met a guy sitting at one of your baseball games and he had a claim and, you know, and my dad built up a bunch of equipment. We're from the city, you know, we're not, we're, he builds up a bunch of equipment, puts it on a train car and sends it up to Fairbanks, Alaska. And for two years in the eighties, we, two or three years we mined gold um up in alaska it was it was in the early 80s and gold had jumped from like two or three hundred bucks an ounce to 800 850 an ounce and there was this gold rush and so a lot of people from the united states you know went up to the lower 48 what they call it up to alaska to mine and so there was little little miners on all of the creeks and I, we were just one of them, you know, we basically broke even and came home and I always kind of locked it in the back of my head that my dad, you know, that this is a possibility. Like a lot of people don't know that this even happened. And um, so I always knew plaster mining was a dream of my dad's and that someday we could go back and, that's when I put Gold Rush together, when I saw gold starting to go up. Um, nothing was going on here. And I said, if we're going to live this dream, you know, we got one shot at it. And I had, I think I had $250,000 left. And I said, let's just, I mean, we're going broke. Let's just go for broke, you know. And so that's what we did. Put it all together. Put the show together. Got Discovery Channel involved you know, and basically created that whole gold genre, you know. Yes, yes. It's totally revitalized that whole industry as well, you know. Um, and can I ask you, that time when your dad was mining, how, how old were you? Were you in your teens? Yeah, I was uh, 15, 15 years old. Did you get the, the whole gold fever at that time? Did you feel it? I did. I, I did, but I also saw the damage of it too, you know couple guys got shot that summer i also got you know i saw a lot of drinking a lot of a lot of alcoholics that just want to mine they want to mine so bad and they yeah you know you can see both sides of it but to me um the business side of the whole thing you know i mean i put together a show around it see the guys who really make the money were the guys who sold the shovels right so not only did I want to get gold in mine, but I was I would I sure wanted to be able to help pay for my fuel through through the television, right? So placer mining is tough. I mean, maybe one one out of twenty people ever, you know, maybe one out of fifty make it. The odds are not good, you know. So yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's one of these things. I think obviously, as people watch the show. And, you know, the, like my gripe with Discovery and National Geographic on a lot of programs, not, I was never with Gold Rush, actually, because I never saw it in that. But I remember watching other documentaries and things. And you're kind of like, is this real? Or, or you know, is this dra dramatized? Or what's actually real? What are you watching? Now, I know, obviously, you know, I've read people have said, oh, sometimes they would do reshoots and gold rush and they would do stuff. But I think the show is very real and it's not dramatized and there's no actors. So I think it comes across as a genuine product, you know. Well, that's good then. You're good. You're a happy customer. <laughs> yes, yes. And that's what, because I, I don't know, in the, in the past I've watched some Discovery things and 
you're enjoying it. And then at the end, you realize, oh, hold on, this is a dramatization. It's not true at all. And that's a shame. Not everything in television, if you have TV people, if you have producers, not everything's going to be real. Mm. So not yeah. all the gold rush is real. No, no, so, no, no. A lot of it is. But, you know, mining is a lot like farming. You're just moving dirt, right? So you would be, you would lose interest, you know? So you got to bring out the stories. You got to bring out the other elements to it um, to make it exciting. So not, not all of Gold Rush is real, but, but that doesn't mean it's all fake either. You know, a lot of times you're building off of real things and you're able to piece the story together. And <clears throat> that's the trick. That's the trick of doing TV gold mining. It's, it's, it's a, it's a hard thing and it's a tricky thing. So I did it for, I don't know what, eight, eight years. Eight years I did it. Yes. 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 Very good. And it's so you growing up as a teenager, you know, what kind of, I know you're a big basketball fan. Were you into sports a lot when you were a teenager? Yeah, I was. I, was, I played basketball even in college before I got fat. But the, be, the, the best thing I was was I could run the football. I was very, um, I was a point guard in college. And, I'm, and you know, there's, there's like the creativity of everything. And that's why I like doing the television part of it so much is that, the creativity of making everything fit together, like in a when you play point guard in basketball, you know you you have to know everybody's position and being able to bring the ball and and the creativity of putting your team together to get the the victory is is really like satisfying. It's like that's kind of an art form for you, right? So for me, when I would run the football, it was like that. I could kind of see, I could see the defense, and as I'm coming and where to where to cut in with the ball, and how to you know to do these things. It was all it was creativity part of it to me. It wasn't the the smashing and then this that and the other. It was the how can I weave myself through this situation to get the win right? And but I had to stick with foot basketball because of because I had too many concussions, you know, and I just bailed out early because I'm like, you, you can see the writing on the wall. Though there will be a time where football is actually American football is probably going to be outlawed. Yeah, I mean, I suppose because, you know, over here, you know, in Europe, we have rugby and, you know, with rugby they're years later like they're not wearing any pads or any helmets and there's so many cases of concussion and delayed concussion and people you know blanking out in interviews and everything so i think there's a lot hidden in american football and it will come out in time no it is and and even though it's just the greatest it's probably the most greatest action sport that's ever been invented is is american football um I mean, and I love like, you know, soccer or whatever you call it, soccer or football, football, but nothing is more exciting than American football, but nothing is more, you know, abusive to the body. So, you know, I had a friend and I won't tell you who it was, but he was a pro bowler and he was, had a barbecue company and he could he could he could barely remember what happened last month, right? Um, and you would know his name, right? And so it's kind of like, you know, you get these guys and they play, you know, a non guaranteed contract, and they smash their they've been smashing their head forever, and now you have frontal lobe issues uh, later on in life. And to be honest with you, you know, it's that's not going to make it. That's not going to work. You know, eventually they're going to have to, to clamp down on that. The NFL eventually someday, you know, plus you, you get too much, too much politics involved in football, baseball now is joining in basketball and guys like us are losing interest in all professional sports and Watch, watch the ratings as they're just going down. The, the only sports I watch now are, is the UFC. 
Mm, yeah, yeah. Uh, the the UFC, I'm a big fan of the UFC and there's a lot of changes. And I mean, obviously, there's some big characters and obviously we have our own Conor McGregor there, a huge star in it. Uh, what, what's your, who, who's your favorite guy in, or girl in the UFC? Who do you like? Mm, I wonder who I've been watching lately. Uh, I like John Jones. I mean, I've always liked him. I've liked um, Colby Covington. Um, he's been fun to watch, you know, and there's a lot of them. There's a lot of a lot. Some of the little guys, some of the unknown guys. I watch. A lot of them came from around here, like uh, Team Quest. You know, like Dan Henderson, um, Matt Linlin, uh, Randy Couture. All those are local guys. Ch- Chad Chad Mendes would be Californian too. No. Yeah, they're all a lot of West Coast guys. Yeah. There's a local guy he's fighting for Bellator named Chris Sunshine. He's a local guy, really cool, cool kid. Um, I love jujitsu though. Like my son Hunter is a jujitsu guy. He's actually um, kind of a natural at it. He's he's pretty good. But uh, I I don't know, man. Professional sports when they get involved, when they start to get involved in politics, this was that was the one place. Or you could get away from politics. Now they're involved and they're moving, you know, because Georgia wants you to provide an ID before you can vote. Okay? An identification. The the M Major League Baseball wants to move the All-Star game out of Georgia because that's racist. Because but if you're going to go get a ticket at will call at a major league baseball game, you have to provide an, an ID. Like, okay, so we're, you know, it's 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 such it's so such bullshit, and it's like that's the kind of stuff, dude. I'm telling you, the average dude is 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 starting to check out, and they're gonna. They're going to be watching more Gold Rush and some of this other stuff because they're losing their sports, man, because of this woke. I understand there's issues. I get all that. But when you inject politics into your professional sports, we're tired of it. We've been beat up by it, and... It, you're seeing it in the ratings. They're losing. They're going to lose their ass. They're losing their ass right now. Yeah, the thing about it is, people want sports and music. They want that to get away from real life. And politics is real life. And you don't want to. You kind of want that Friday night pay per view or Saturday night to get away from it all. Sit down with your friends, have a beer, watch the fight or watch the game. You don't want politics to come in. And you know, even in the conversation, you don't want to be saying, "Oh my God." In this state now, you need the identification, or they're going to take it out of the state. That's getting messy, and it's killing the killing the love of the game too. It is, and they've and they've gone too far. I'm telling you, they've gone too far to appease just one side, and that's the left. And you cannot appease any side. Don't bring politics into professional sports. Stay out. Stay the hell out of it. No, no, person. Stay out of it. Stay out of it. Tell me, yeah, the, the when you look back now, so you know, obviously, when you were a teen and you were in Alaska with your dad, and you know, you were you got a little bit of the gold mining bug, um, but then. You know, what were your kind of early jobs? Did you always work with your dad or did you work for other people with heavy machinery? Tell us a bit about your early jobs. Um, so my job, you mean at the mine or, or at, at, at... No, I mean, I mean, like, after you came back from Alaska oh. and you were like 17 or 18, did you work with your dad or did you go out on your own? My family, my family put... I started playing basketball and then just went to school. And we so if you if you look at Portland, if you can Google Portland right now, it used to be the most beautiful city was rated the top ten most beautiful cities in all of the United States. The place you want to come and raise your kids. If you look at it now, 
It is a it is a cesspool of homelessness and drugs. Okay, so what we did, how I I grew up, we housed homeless families. That was my family's business, and I would get contracts from the city to house homeless families, and they would stay with me until they could get into permanent housing. Okay, and a lot of people called us slum lords and called us this, that, and the other. It's really kind of funny. Uh, uh, an article came out not long ago, and they were like, "We desperately needed all of that transitional housing that used they used to have in the eighties and nineties. That was us. We, I housed a hundred homeless families at all times. One hundred. So you figure each family has maybe four. Four people in it. So in Portland, I housed 400 to probably 500 homeless people. Me, per my my little business. So we were, you know, out of the out of the thousands of people that were homeless, 500 of those were actually under a roof with with hot water and power and you know everything. So that business is gone. There is none of that transitional now. And so, you know, when you open the door, so my family grew up, I was housing homeless families. I changed toilets. I I went around and, and fixed windows and swept the parking lot. And it was really tough. It's a hard job. But that's how I got my start in business. And then I transitioned and moved into apartments and then into um, I'm, I have a little airport right now. I'm at an I'm at an airport that uh, I rent out hangar space for airplanes and things like that. But I got my start in business in the gutter housing homeless families in Portland, and now Portland is probably the grossest homeless cesspool that you ever seen. Your your dad Jack. How old is your dad now? Uh, my dad is 77 years old. Wow. And he's going. But yeah, my dad is 77 years old. And, um, you know, he's in, he's in great health. You know, besides his back, he's got, you know, some back issues and things like that. But it's a pretty good health. He's, he's, uh, he really wants, here's, here's one thing that I can tell you that, um, is kind of cool. Um, I'm really, really close to signing a deal again with, uh, with, you know, working with Discovery again. I actually read that when I was researching you. Uh, there were somebody on some article said that you could be coming back with a new show and come, uh, gold mining and maybe a new team or whatever. That would be really exciting. Yeah, it, it's pretty cool. Uh, the, they videoed us last night, myself and Hunter, my 22-year-old. 20, and uh, and we, I think we're very, very, very. We've we've tried this several times with them, but we're very close in signing a new deal, bringing a brand new show back with the Hoffmans' return to the north. And I have a mine all locked up that is the richest mine that anybody's ever seen on Gold Rush, and so I got it locked up. Now, if we're going to go on TV or not, there's all of these other issues that are constantly, you know, that constantly you have to deal with. And that is, you know, uh, the paperwork, the small details, the, you know, you know how it goes. I'm sure there have been times when you have been mining where the TV cameras are in the way or they're bothering you or you don't want them around. Because mining, especially for gold, can be stressful enough as it is. Yeah, there's times where um, I, I gave a, a camera crew. Matter of fact, he's from, no, he's from Scotland, not Ireland. Anyways, I was going across a swamp and... They didn't want to go across the swamp and film with me over there. I thought it was important for the show. And so I called them a bunch of 
pussies because right and i'm already in a bad mood and i and i said you guys are a bunch of pussies and you you should be filming this they didn't want to get their feet wet and i said the i said if you weren't a pussy you would attack me right now for calling you a pussy right to your face and i'll be damned if one of them didn't put his camera down and we went at it uh the guy from my the guy from scotland He's from the mount, a mountain region uh, there. Uh, I'm very good friends to this day with this guy. Anyways, I gave, I got him on the ground. And I gave him a black eye, and <laughs> and he never told on me because you can't do that, right? You can't do that. Wow. So all a lot of these guys weren't in the same position as I was. I I'm trying to have a good marriage and have a, you know, and try to raise young kids while I'm trying to shoot this TV show and mine and deal with everybody's issues. So after a while, it starts to really wear on you and bring it kind of, it kind of robs your spirit of, of a lot of things. Right. So it's taken me several years to feel like to, to be at home and feel feel like comfortable in your own skin again do you know chip and joanna Gaines? they have the the new shows on the name sounds familiar i'm trying to think um what's what show they have that show fixer upper and they're on just this discovery network so um anyways he 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 explains in an article kind of what what i just am talking about when you're when you're getting exposed like that on TV for that long and taking the abuse online and trying to trying to have a good marriage and be a good dad and all these other things, it's very difficult, right? It kind of it kind of robs your spirit. Uh, it kind of t- it it it, uh, it it makes it really difficult. And um, so I've been off TV for several years, but it's take it's taken a while to feel to feel like. You can really enjoy yourself again, right? So I think we're in a very good place. Hunter's in a good place. Um, we're If we're going to do TV again, it's, it's going to be pretty pretty quick here. And so, yeah. When you and Hunter were working together, I mean, I know myself, I used to work with my dad in the construction industry. And it's very hard for a father and son to work together because sometimes it's like oil and water. They're... They're, they're both liquids, but they, they work differently. And I mean, it's hard because you also have that added pressure of a TV camera being in your face and maybe your dad's trying to teach you and tell you what to do. And it's hard on him and, and you. Well, that and then you have camera crew that's lying to him, trying to stir up trouble. And at the end of the day, it hurts your relationship with your son. Right. So. This time around, Hunter's like, man, we don't care about fame. <clears throat> There's guys that, that were on my team that care about fame. They, they don't. It's like a drug. It's like anything else, right? I don't see that with my family. I don't think we care about it that much, right? So um, as we're talking with Discovery Channel about coming back on TV, you know, I had a talk with Hunter, and we just said, hey, we don't want this to ruin our relationship. And if this is going to hurt our relationship, we don't want anything to do with it, right? Because when I go on TV, I, I do get paid, right? It's not, I'm not, I mean, I, I'm very good at what I do. And, um, you know, I built up an audience around the world. So, like, you know, but it's not worth it. If you lose, you know, what does it matter if you gain the world but lose your soul, right? So, so I, so I said, Hunter, I said, you, you figured out. I go, you figured out. You want to go on TV? You figure it out, you know? So, if you want to do it, Hunter, we'll do it. Me and Grandpa will do it. So, I put it in his court. So we filmed last night, and he had some really good things to say uh, to to the production company. And whether we're going to do it or not, or not, I don't know. It's kind of fifty fifty. They want to do it, and I want to do it, but it's kind of up to Hunter. Like, really, it's like, and once, and like, he looked at me when I said, "Hey, it's your it's your decision." Like, I don't care, you know. Uh, 
then it, it, it changes the ball game, you know. I said, your damn grandpa, though, he wants to go north. I go, he's the, like, don't get me wrong. This, this old man wants to mine again. And I said, he'll only do it one more big time again, this, this side of heaven. So, like, you know, and he's like, we both know that. Jack wants to mine. And there's, like, he's been building a wash plant for two months. So, you know. That's where we're at. We're going to find out probably in the next week if we're going to close this deal and go. So that, it's re that's really exciting. I mean, it would be great, you know, to see you back on the screens mining. Can I ask you, you know, the relationships we see, you know, between yourself and Parker and Tony Beats and Dave Tour, and I mean, when you see those relationships and you know the camaraderie and the friendship and the blow ups and all of these things, and you know. Do we see the true picture? I mean, you know, like if, if you and Dave have a fight and then you don't see the, what happens afterwards and you see other shows and, you know, there's lots of missing pieces that people are wondering. I, like, for example, I, I was watching Dave Turin's new show, you know, or the, not the new show, but the, the Lost Minds. And then you're kind of thinking, I wonder, like, is there animosity there? Do they talk? You know, so there's lots of unanswered questions. So... So we don't, so we don't talk we don't talk very much. Um, he really got his feelings hurt when I you know he quit and I and I didn't fight to keep him. Um, and he got in a fight with Trey and there was some things you don't know about that fight and there's things I'm not going to talk about about it right. It's in the past you know and was Dave in the right? No. Was Trey in the right? No. So. It's one of those things that happened. There's some things said that, that you didn't make the, sh the cut because it would hurt people's reputation. So, like, you know, you just got to say, okay, this it is what it is. Let it bury it. You know, I know Dave's a good man, and he's raised some great families. He's done a lot of great things. And, you know, I hope, I, you know, he takes it. looks like he's the, 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 there's a lot of negativity online about – I don't watch any of these shows, so – he looks like he's taking some hits online about his show, but I honestly don't know if it's good or bad or it doesn't matter to me. I mean, I, I watched the show now, and I think I'm in the second season or third season. I think it's the third. But, you know, it's a good show, and it kind of in some way seems like the Gold Rush franchise. You know, it's it's very similar. And, I mean, I've watched the Dakota Fred and Dustin and the White Water and everything. And it, the the thing is that... All these shows have their own style. And, you know, like, especially, for example, you look at Fred Hurt and Dustin and they're very, you know, they're like sandpaper. They're very rough characters. But the one thing that I always think when I look at their show and other shows, what you mentioned earlier, that people can get really hurt, like emotionally, but also physically over gold, because when people get that gold fever, you know, they can get really offended if somebody looks in the in the sluice box or whatever and these kind of things. So it, it, I, you can see how friendships can be tarnished and tattered. Well, when you add cameras to the thing and people's egos and all these other things and it, it, you know, because you want to know the truth, all these guys owe me a lot for starting the whole thing. Right. And the, and the guys that I really, the guys that come back, like Dakota Fred calls me and like, we're friends. Right. Freddie Dodge. I talked to him the other day, you know, it's like, but for me to be a true Christian, I need to be happy for everybody. I need to be, I need to wish the best on Parker. I need to wish the best on, on Dave and, and Freddie and all these guys. Right. Or you're not really, you're not really walking the talk. You're full of shit because I really do want Dave to have a great show and a great life. I want Freddie to have, you know, I want them all. I want Parker to. I would love to see Parker um, come to the point where he realizes that he needs God in his life. I really do. You know, that money's not going to get you to heaven, right? So these are the these are the things that I care about now. I don't care about, you know, so much how much gold I get in this. I care about the manner in which I get my gold. So like, 
I left Raw. Raw TV runs all these shows, right? They're out of England. They were a little five-man company when I ran into them out in England and brought them Gold Rush. Now, and they sold for a hundred of hundreds of millions to Discovery Channel. But I, I'm not. I'm not going to come back with that company. I, I, I came. I'm going to be coming back. If I come back, I'm coming back with a different company, with a different style, with a different way to film. I'm the exec, one of the executive producers. I'm going to basically shepherd the story because there needs to be a different way this is done. We can't leave people bleeding in a ditch. You know, accusing them of shit, where millions of people now now they have to go home, and they've been tarnished, and they don't care. They just get thrown aside, and another guy, you know, comes into the show. You can ruin people's lives by saying that they dug into your gold and all this bullshit when they really didn't. You know, they're just for drama. You don't want to leave. You don't want to throw. You know. There has to be another element to this. There has to be a goodness. There has to be where there's a fight, there's a forgiveness. There's a, you know what I mean? And, and, and you know, it's right. In our heart, we're beat up, Simon. We're beat up, right? This is the thing that I think too much television has gone down that road of entertainment at any means, by any means necessary and at any cost. And the thing about it is, they are ruining the lives of perfectly good people just for drama and entertainment. And like, you know, they always say, you know, the whole Hollywood and TV industry is cutthroat, but I think all television is a little bit. And I think it's nice and it's refreshing that you're looking at that aspect and you're saying, okay, I'm not going to have any of that bullshit and we're not going to leave people out in the wilderness. And we're not going to leave people to, you know, be contemplating suicide because of, a backlash over the show or online trolls or whatever. That's really important. I think, you know, it is. And, and, and when you, there already is an element when you're on TV, there's already an element like it's like a drug to some people. There's certain kind of people's makeup when they're on TV and then everybody gives them a pat on the back. Now they're, you know, you're, you're so-and-so from TV and then when the lights go down and they're not, they're not a no, they're not a person, they're not a, a, a special person in their mind anymore. Um, they have to go through what's a reckoning. And that is when they look in the mirror, are they happy with who they see there? Are they okay? You know, and usually people that get on TV and some of these reality shows, they weren't okay when they got on. And people are patting them on the back, and that is a drug. That is a drug to their ego. And when you're out, when you're off the air, okay, they really want to be back on the air. They really want to be famous again because that really was the best time of their life. And so having been off the air for three years, this has been really good for us to just be just step back and be who, who God created us to be. And if we go back on the air, you're going to see the most incredible gold show. This is, I will be, if I go back, which is a 50, 50, um, it's going to be the best gold show that you've ever seen because it's, it's going to have heart. It's going to have the love, the, the heart and soul. It's going to have all the tech. It's going to have more technical things in it. And I'm even going to share with you some of the numbers behind the scenes because it's all bullshit. I mean, I cut that deal with Volvo. You notice there's a lot of Volvos out there, right? Yeah, I always wondered that about the product placement because okay. you know certain shows will have Volvo everywhere and Caterpillar. You're, not, you're, looking at, you're looking at the private placement guy. I did all that, right? So now I'm going to share a little bit more real reality with you guys. It's going to be next level, right? It's not going to be, you know, I'm going to un, I'm going to unveil some things that you're probably going to want to know, right? So uh, that comes with risk. That comes with being vulnerable and things like that. So um, I'm willing to do it. I want to share my faith. I want to encourage people again. 
but uh, I don't have to, right? And that's the cool part. I don't have to do it. Um, and I've just been praying about it and talking to my my family and and uh, yeah. So we're we're close. I mean, uh, I'm hearing all the right things from the network, and and they may be hearing the right things from me. I don't know. I don't care. I really don't care. I've given it. I don't care. Like you have to be in that mindset, or you'll or you'll do a deal with the devil. And and you don't want that. You don't want to be beholden to them because what you're going to be wind up doing is is doing some horrible television and putting out some piece of crap. Yeah, I mean that's going to be really exciting, and um, I think you know. The, the it was such a winning formula for the show anyway so it's going to be great to see you come back on the show or, and not that show but a different show and to to see you know the new a new twist on it and i think all of those things you said are important and i think definitely the psychological thing where you know people are looked after in the sense that too many reality shows now are realizing when after lots of you know reality suicides and like even in the UK, you have presenters who kill themselves and you have guests who kill themselves. And people don't realize until years later that these people are very vulnerable and they need to be looked after. Yeah, I mean, I, I had James James pass away. Um, and when he came to me, he was going to kill himself already. And I put him in gold rush and I was like, you know what? Here's the deal. I know you want to die. And I said, but let's do something. Let's do something cool. Let's let's try to let's try to. I, I know I I just gave him an olive branch, you know, and uh, I probably could have gone to jail for all the drugs I got him. I mean, he just to keep him going was Evan Williams and morphine. I don't know what he. I mean, he had so many pins and screws and his back and his ankles and his wrists. I mean, he was a walking miracle, but he would get, he would get all liquored up and at night and I'd go into his camper and we would watch extras. Remember that show? Yes. With Ricky Gervais. Yes, dude. (laughs) We'd watch extras. Very funny. James would get, he'd have enough Evan Williams and, and, and he would, his pain would go away just enough. He'd cook us some hamburgers and we just, I don't know. You just, you look back at those times and you're like, wow, you know, like we got to share some times, you know? So brilliant. That's really nice. We got to stop. We got to look, we got to smell the roses here. But this, if we do come back, it's going to be spectacular because the mine I got is is rich as shit. Really old. Here's a question that I always wonder. So, for example, right now, you know, if you look at any of the Gold Rush shows and you see Parker looking for claims or you guys looking for claims or Dave Turin, are those claims like, is it only by word of mouth or are they advertised? This claim is for sale. How do you find out about gold rich claims? Because I'm sure everybody wants them. Yeah. Some are advertised, but mostly everybody's lie a liar in this business. So like, um, you know, obviously drill holes are good. And then it, you know, and if they were really good, why are they not mined? You know, there's always something. Too deep, too frozen, too much water, too you know what, whatever it is, too hard to get to. There's usually some. I'll tell you what, though, the place in Alaska that I found is far, far superior to anything in the Klondike, anything in Canada. All those guys are in Canada, you know, except for the code of Fred. But you know, you're not going to get much gold trying to trying to dredge those old creeks, you know. You maybe me maybe one one day get a pocket, but it's never gonna pay very good. So um but the mines that I'm finding in Alaska dude far superior on the gold than in the Klondike. So that's what if I go north I'm going to Alaska, stay in the United States. How long or how many months of the year can you mine for gold in Alaska now? 
This one's so far north. I mean, I got four or five months, maybe. It's a pretty short season up there. If I come back, I could only probably produce 10 episodes, maybe 12 max, but more like 10. And then the second season, I could give you a 20. But uh, that would be a long, you know, that would be a six-month film, you know. And then I used to come back home, and then I'd promote the show, and they'd send me to New York and go on all the shows in New York. I have a, a way that I would promote the show. So I was – I worked really hard for Gold Rush, you know, to try to make it what it was all those years. Um, I'm thankful, you know, I mean – even though Discovery and I have always had our differences, but very thankful for that opportunity and thankful, you know, for that whole experience, you know, as a whole. And, uh, yeah, it was just incredible. It's like the places I got to go and do things I got to do pretty incredible. Yes. And, and can I ask you, obviously then, you know, after you left Gold Rush and, you know, you're, you're, you know, you have a fabulous voice and you got more into music. Let's talk about your music a little bit, like before, like your early years, what kind of music have you always been into as a teenager and as an adult? What kind of, did you like mainly rock? You know, it sounds kind of weird, but like I grew up in the dance clubs and so like New Order and more like the dance music stuff. I know that some, most of these guys are gay, and I know that I'm going to take some crap from it, but, dude, Wham, Boy George, Eurasia, <laughs> wow. Ron, these are so Bronsky guys, Beast, right? like, Bronsky Beast, all of that. Bronsky Beast, Bronsky, <laughs> she's like, you can say Bronsky Beast, and they're to a hundred people and there's only maybe one that would know what you're, the hell you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And, and, uh, Jimmy, Jimmy Somerville, Jimmy Somerville. <laughs> yeah. Was, you know, like that whole thing, you know, that whole thing, like, so I enjoy that kind of music, but I also like Van Halen and the Scorpions. I'm trying to, get to the score the scorpions are coming to vegas next year uh for like uh i'm gonna be able to see them finally uh you know van halen so eddie van halen just passed away right and of course the lady such a tragedy who, such a loss the lady who ran the uh the facebook uh the the gold rush fan club she tells me that Eddie Van Halen was a, was was one of the first members and that, that he was a huge fan of, of the Hoffmans. But she only told me that after he passed away. I would have loved to connect with Eddie Van Halen. That would have been cool. But, <laughs> uh, yeah, so that, I have a band. I have a little band and I play. You know, we, I sing. And, San, San, Sandy Mule, no? Sandy Mule. We're, you know what's funny is we're big, getting big in Sweden. Why? Well, I'll tell you what it is. You know, I've listened to your music. I heard your music a, a year or two ago as well, first time. And you, I mean, you're the. I know you've you've done covers, the Sound of Silence, and some of these other songs, and really good covers. But your own songs, listening, you know, I was listening to Now and Then and Hi, these songs. You have that kind of '90s rock sound. I don't want to say like it's not like it's a bit. It's like a mixture of grunge and hard rock. So it's like Creed, Pearl Jam mixed with um, Fear and this these kind of bands. So I think what it is in Sweden and in Germany, they love that kind of stuff still. And I think f- f- your sound will probably go down well in Europe. Well, that's what what I'm seeing is that. Cause it is our, we're kind of a nineties rock band and, uh, yes, you are. Yeah. Yeah. This guy cut this song the other day though. Uh, well, I just found it and I, uh, and, uh, he's a local guy here and he used to be in a Celtic band and, um, uh, he, uh, he plays me this song and he says, he said, I, I listened to some of his other stuff. I'm not kind of, jiving with the other stuff but he plays me this one song called state of mind 
And I was like, man, that's got some, there's something to that, right? Like I, I asked him if uh, if I could if we could sing it together. So we we recut the song, re, we replayed, we retracked everything in the song. Yeah. And um, I brought in a uh, fiddle player that I that I like to play with, and um, and uh, we recut this song. So this will be our next song that we come out with, but it's kind of different. I don't know if you can hear it. Yeah, I can, yeah. Wow, it's different. It's a... I got that. It's like something. I just can't place it. What's that? It reminds me of something. You know, I'm like I'm a I'm a big rock fan. I'm a huge Metallica fan. You know, I and uh, so I like I like all the kind of '90s rock as well. You know, I'm I'm a big Stone Temple Pilots fan and Pearl Jam and everything. Um, but it's funny, you know, because we have a like. This podcast started from my original band, Collective Whisper, and we um, it's funny because uh, some of our songs are more rock like that, more like the 90s. But nowadays in this kind of industry, it's very hard for that music to have an audience because obviously of the pop and everything. But but for older people and people in their 40s who are nostalgic, they love that kind of sound. So I think that's why your your tracks as well, your songs go down well in places like Sweden and Europe. Yeah, and I, I think we're going to have to go and tour over there. I'd love to tour um, Ireland, though, too. I'd love to tour, like, hit a few few of the – we have a lot of fans in Ireland, it looks like, too. So Yes, yes. I'd love to go around with the band and just play, like, some pubs and go around and hit Sweden, too. I don't know. Yeah, well, I, I think that's something. And, you know, in Ireland now, which is a, a big nation of – you know, sociable, I don't want to say drinkers, but they're a big, big nation of partiers. And after the lockdown and because like there's no music being played there now and people are like like a dog on a leash wanting to go for a walk. Yeah. So they're they're looking forward to bands. So, you know, in the next year or two, it's going to be amazing. Like all these live concerts, hopefully are going to come back online and, and not online like on the internet, but like in actual concert venues. So I think, yeah, I, I think if you did a tour of Ireland and Sweden and these, it would go down really well. I think so too. We got to get, I, I'm just now, I got to get my band playing together again because we stopped playing. And, but uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm looking forward to it. I, I just, I really enjoy it. I don't, I don't know. I just, something about it. I want to do it. How do you, you know, like with your original songs, it are you involved in the songwriting or is it from band members? How does that happen? Not yet. I'm pulling out their old, some of their old 90s stuff and only certain ones that I like. Like this state of mind will be, will be one that when you hear my fiddle player come in, it's, it's like, it's different. Like you're like, whoa, what is that? Is that gypsy? Is that Celtic? Is that, is that rock? Because you got the driving guitars. But I just recut the vocals again, and I'm recutting the bass. And the way I recut the vocals, I I was able to change a few things. And um, yeah, I don't know, man. It's gonna be it's gonna be kind of interesting how it goes. If we go back on TV, I'm gonna be able to integrate a lot of this back in. So the the band should take off pretty good. And um, you know, uh, maybe you'll have one of your songs as the the, the, in the credits or whatever, you know. Yeah. You'll be like, you'll be like saying to Discovery, "Hey, yeah, uh, what about this song? It's by an unknown band." And they'll be like, "Now nah, we'll have a listen." <laughs> yeah, they might. You know, they might. You know, it's they seem. Uh, they seem. They seem like they're letting. Uh, they're letting uh, me do a little more than last time. So, I don't know, man. I until we get until we sign the contracts. It's not a done deal, but I say it's. I say there's a fifty-fifty chance with them, and um, 
I, w- I wouldn't mind doing it again. I think that we're in a good place, right? So yeah, I, I, and come here, you know. So it's, I mean, it's great. You're, the music's going well for you and everything. So let's let's look at some of the other things you're doing because you're very busy. And you know, I, I mean, the Hoffman Report website is great. It's a great website, and your Toddcast and everything. So let's talk about Toddcast first. So how often do you do the Toddcast? I've only done a few of them, and we're not very good at it yet. (laughs) (laughs) I'm in my studio. You can't see it. I don't know if I can turn this around. I don't know. I'll probably unplug something and ruin it. Oh, yes. This this is, yes. You're like sitting in the round. I've I've watched this a few times. It's really cool. Yeah. So... Um, that's kind of the set. It's like a four camera. It's a four camera shoot. Here's like our black magic. Here's our studio. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I've done some addiction things. I have a drug and alcohol treatment center. The sober living facility. Yeah. Yeah. And so I've had a few, done a few of those. We're not very good at it yet, and I'm and I'm getting better. Uh, we have some pretty cool guests that are going to come in once things get rolling. Um, but uh, I don't know where it's going to go. I really don't. I think my problem is is I don't give a shit enough, right? I love the process of putting it all together, but like I don't know if I have what it takes to like, you know drive driving it every day right like like in a minute here i'll go like i gotta go pick up my wife from this appointment and then like after that i'm gonna spray weeds then i'm gonna sit in my hot tub in my pool you know what i mean i have all these i have this list of things to do and they're not very glamorous but i'll tell you tell you what i gotta do it you know yeah well i suppose because you know you could be on the Toddcast with Obama or somebody in the future, and then you're like, hey, man, I got to go pick weeds. My garden is getting overgrown. <laughs> I remember being backstage, and they're like, okay, you're going to speak on stage. In, uh, it was in Chicago, right? And they said, listen, you're going on right after Oprah Winfrey. I go, what? They're like, she's speaking. She's going to come off stage. And then you're going to come on stage, you and your dad. I said, okay. I mean, this is like, and I just look at my dad. I'm like, (laughs) she comes up, she speaks a bunch of mumbo jumbo, blah, blah, blah. You know, she's, it's complete and utter feel good bullshit that meant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, this, you know, whatever. She gets off stage and there's this little aisle and it's dark. Right, and I'm going on stage. She stops right there. She puts her hands up like this, and I'm I'm literally in her face. I'm like this far from her. Yeah, yeah. She's looking at me. She's looking up at me like this bearded fat guy. <laughs> and, I and I have my and I have my hard hat on. Yeah. Okay. Like the show. I can tell she's looking up at me like, who the f is this guy, right? But she's got her hands up because her two assistants come in there. They're holding her hands because they're taking her shoes off to switch okay, out. Okay, yeah. They're taking her million-dollar high heels off to put her comfortable shoes on. But she's blocking the aisle, the little aisle, so I can't get on stage. So she walks off, and she's standing there like this. I'm standing there in her face. Finally, I just lean in. And I go, hey, uh, I go, uh, Oprah, I got to go on stage. And she just goes, she's, and she gets it. Oh, oh, shit. Then she kind of, she thought you were, she thought you were the maintenance guy. She thought I was like the guy that was moving the shit around on the stage. I don't know. But there's this big pause between her. And then my ugly fat ass going on stage, like, and then I walk out, <laughs> and like you just like you just look back and you're like, what the hell? That's like, believe that shit. To be fair, if 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 Eddie Van Halen was on stage and he looked, 
and there was a guy with a hard hat, he'd probably think, oh, they must have to finish the stage or something. <laughs> yeah, I don't know, but it was like you, you get into those situations, you know, like I had some funny things with Mike Tyson and you get into these situations and you're just like hilarious because we're just not those people. We're just normal people. We're not. We shouldn't be caught in weird situations like that, you know, but yeah, yeah. I know, I know it's a, it's very surreal. I imagine that world and, you know, like for me, I always say, you know, if someone says to me, Oh, would you like to be famous? I say, no, I don't ever want to be famous. I just want to be successful. And I want to, I like, I like working with people. I like talking to people. I like producing music. I like making music. But if I could never be the face of that, I wouldn't mind. I just like doing that work, but I don't necessarily want to be the poster boy for my band. It's just that if you're if you're the driving force, sometimes you have to put your face up there. You know, it's kind of like that, isn't it? Yeah, you kind of have to. Like, do you remember that movie? In the did, were you a big '80s guy? I mean, I, well, yeah, I was. Like, I I was born in '73, so a lot of I was I was in 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 the '80s. I was a teenager, but yeah, I remember a lot of the '80s. Yeah. I remember the movie Can't Buy Me Love. Yes, vaguely. Yeah. It was Patrick Dempsey when he was young. Patrick Dempsey or Patrick? Pat- Patrick Dempsey. He's the guy from. Yes, I remember. Grace I remember. Yes. He was. Yes. He mowed the yard. He was a lawnmower kid and, and fell in love with the, the, the. That was a big movie in the 80s, right? I was at an event with Patrick Dempsey, and I, my whole life, I always wanted to ask him that one question: Did he get it on with the blonde girl in the movie? Yes. It <laughs> <laughs> was so funny. Like we're at an event, and I go up to him, and he goes, he, "I go, dude, I got one, one question. Can't buy me love." And he goes, "Yep." I did, and I'm like, I laughed so. Much. <laughs> I tell my friends it was so funny. Oh, that's brilliant! That's brilliant. Just before I let you go, because I know this is something that's very close and personal to you, and I see, like, I I watch some of your podcasts there with the sober living facility. Can you just briefly uh, explain to people what it is about and how it's helping people before you go? So you have an influx of synthetic opium that is flooded into the United States, fentanyl, and it killed Prince, it killed um, several of our you know, pe- famous people. And it's a very inexpensive, but it's also very, very potent, and it's, been ki- it's, it's just an epidemic. And so we started a, an alcohol, drug and alcohol treatment center and we're out in Portland. We have housing for Pete for some of these kids. We have about 70 patients and we just fight that good fight. Last year we got 300 people off of drugs and alcohol. I have partners that are all in recovery and um, I threw in some money with them and it was it's been it it doesn't make very it doesn't make any money as the clinic does it like barely it's, but it's the most rewarding thing I have ever thrown money into. So when you get a when you get a dad that comes up to you and says you saved my daughter's life, you know, um, you just can't you can't stop doing that. So hopefully, if we go north, I'd like to bring a, a kid or two that that's that's in that situation. So wow. That's really good. Hey, I loved doing it. Let's do it again. And uh, Brilliant. I, I mean, it's been great fun. Whenever you want, if you want to do it again, and we'd love to get back on here with you. That's really good. Listen, I know you have to go, so we're going to let you go. And hopefully we will get in, we'll be in touch with you in the future. And we'd love to have you on again once you get the show up and running. And I hope it goes well for you, you know? Anytime, man. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. And maybe the next time you're on, you'll do a song for us. You know, yeah, you never know. We'd love to hear you sing a song too. We can sing together. Yeah. Huh? Sometimes people say, "Oh, can we sing over the internet?" And I'm like, "Well, the delay is very difficult, but we'll get something together. Don't worry. It'd be cool to jam with you sometime." So listen, uh, go go do what you have to do, and it's been a pleasure. And um, thanks very much, Todd. Todd Hoffman, everybody. Thank you very much. See you, see you later.
Okay, thank you very much, Todd. That was a pleasure to have you on the show, and I hope everybody enjoyed all your inside scoops on Gold Rush and future episodes to come. And we look forward to that, as well as your music. And it was an interesting chat, and thank you very much once again. Okay, moving on to next week's guest. Next week's guest is Charlie McGettigan. So Charlie McGettigan started his musical career in the 1960s in various rock bands in Donegal. Charlie has worked with artists like Maura Connell and Eleanor Shanley, who both recorded many of his songs, including Feet of a Dancer, Bed for the Night, and If Anything Happened to You. Charlie joined forces with Paul Harrington and Brendan Graham to win the 1994 Eurovision Song Contest for Ireland with Rock and Roll Kids. So we're looking forward to hearing Charlie, and, you know, he might sing a song for us as well, and, you know, tell us about his history of music in Ireland and all of his fantastic tales, and we look forward to that, and we hope you can join us. And I have to say thank you, everybody, for tuning into the show and all the listeners so far in in our first season. And, you know, we have a few shows to go before the end of the season, but uh, we hope you'll enjoy them and we hope they'll, you know, tickle your fancy, as they say. Um, So thank you very much, everybody, again. And look after yourself and look after your family and everyone else. And we will talk to you soon. And take care. Bye bye. (laughs) 